0: You're
1: listening to the McFantasy MBA podcast with Josh and Adam McDermott. G'day and welcome to McFantasy MBA. Thanks very much for listening. Today we're going to chat about some per 36-minute leaders. So guys that would benefit from playing more time, we're going to see if we can find a few of those and hopefully they might get a little bit more playing time. Adam, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, hello. Yep, um, I'm just looking at my players right now, actually, and I wish them luck.
1: Yes, yes. Well, we'll go into a little bit of that later, um, but first let's have a look at some news.
0: Breaking news.
1: Disclaimer, this news is not broken by us. It comes already broken. So once again, I have a couple of little records that have happened throughout the last week, uh, and then I'll get into another little All Star Game thing too, which I would like to talk about. So a couple of records. We've spoken about this guy a few times on the show, Patty Mills, but he breaks another record. This time, he's now played the most games of any Australian in the NBA, overtaking the former number one pick, Andrew Bogut. Bogut played seven hundred eighty three and Mills is now 784 and beyond. He's had a wonderful career, which we've spoken about, to be able to last that long. This other stat is a very interesting one. It's something you would not expect, and it comes from the Boston Celtics, which are arguably the most decorated or very close to the most decorated franchise in NBA history. They have some absolute superstars that have played for that franchise. But what happened in the game against Toronto was two players for the first time ever in Boston history scored six three-pointers in a game. So two Celtics in the same game scored six three-pointers and those two players were Peyton Pritchard and Semi Ojolay. No Celtics have ever done that before in a game. So you guys like Ray Allen and Paul Pierce playing together, they never both shot six three-pointers in a game, but Pritchard and Ojolay did it. So imagine that as a quiz question Adam in 10 years to come. No one would get that.
0: No, you wouldn't stand a chance and I, I did see Ojale play Bill the other day but I didn't realise he hit six threes and to be honest I know nothing about him but good on him <laughs> and, and Pritchard. It's the work. That
1: is a, a crazy little stat in that game. Those guys are good young developing players. Will they go on to be Hall of Famers like Paul Pierce and the like? I highly, highly doubt it but they do hold a, a record, which might take some beating. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about in the news section was this all-star game that looks like it's happening on the 7th of March American time, so the 8th Australian time. There are many big-name players, LeBron James leading those, that have said that they don't really want to play in the game. It's only a money-making thing, and because of, obviously, the shortened pre-season all the work particularly for LeBron and the Lakers, that they haven't had much time to spend with their families, the bubble they're away from their families. <laughs> They'd rather have that week off of the All-Star game and not have to play a exhibition game, really. And my opinion on the All-Star game is that it is it is really just an exhibition game. They don't really try at all until maybe the last two or three minutes. And yeah, it's fun to watch. It's fun to see the best players in the game playing on the one team. But it's not like it used to be because now if you want to play with another superstar, you just go to their team, which has happened with Harden and Durant and Irving. It's happened with a lot of the big, big threes throughout the league now. So it doesn't quite have the same flavor as what it used to. And yes, it's, it's a fun weekend. Like You have the three-point contest. I've always enjoyed the three-point contest because that is pretty clear-cut who's the best three-point shooter on that day. The dunk contest is fun to watch. Um, it is a bit subjective, though. I'm not sure if the best player always wins the dunk contest, but it is fun to watch. I think something needs to happen to make this All-Star game more exciting and to make players want to play in it more. I think we go away from it being called an all-star game and you could call it just a three. I don't know. I, I don't honestly don't have a name for it, but it, it goes for about three days in my mind and it's college versus college. So instead of having players pick for an all-star game, you have the best players from some of the biggest colleges in America that are playing in the NBA they form a team and they play against another college. So for example, you could have Duke University against Kentucky University. So those players that are currently playing in the NBA for those two colleges would form a team. You could even have two or three current college players in each of those teams. So imagine that if that that was happening this year, your starting lineup for Duke would be something like Kyrie Irving, R.J. Barrett, Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson with Bagley, Seth Curry, Wendell Carter Jr., J.J. Reddick, Cam Reddish coming off the bench. That's an incredible team up against Kentucky with a starting lineup of De'Aaron Fox, Devin Booker, Julius Randle, Anthony Davis, Carl anthony Towns with stars like Bam Adebayo, John Wall, Jamal Murray, DeMarcus Cousins, PJ Washington, Tyler Hero, all on the bench. Those two colleges against one another, and you wouldn't play it at an NBA stadium. You'd play it at one of those two college stadiums, and you'd do the same with various universities throughout the country. And yes, not everyone would get to play, but holy hell, the crowds would absolutely go nuts. And these guys getting to play with each other from the same university. I think they would have an absolute cracking time and they'd try a lot harder. What's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I I haven't heard of that before, but that does sound fun and they'd be back in their old uniforms. It would be it would be really cool. Yeah. And I suppose you could have some of the the smaller schools play against each other as well.
1: You could have you know, a great coach from one of those universities as the coach of that team. Someone that might, for example, like Coach K at Duke's been there forever. So he's coached pretty much all of those players that I mentioned. And it would be, I just think the players would try a lot harder. And that's why I don't like exhibition games because it's just fun. And they're just throwing up alley-oops. And yes, some of that would still happen, but because of the rivalry in colleges, you would want to try and beat that college that you're playing against. And it would be hard because those big colleagues would have a huge advantage over the smaller ones, but maybe you could just have the big ones play each other each year. I'm not exactly sure how it would work, but I think it would just create more interest than an exhibition All-Star game.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. That would be a heap of fun. Um, uh, what
1: sort of news have you got, Adam?
0: I was just reading about Ben Simmons, and he is um, having a little bit of a sook at the moment about how many votes he's got from fans in the All-Star which is nothing unlike Ben Simmons to complain about something, but he's come out and claimed that he is without question the best defender in the league and he deserves a defensive player of the year. Therefore, he should be an all-star as well. And he has been an all-star before. Uh, do you think he's the best defender in the world?
1: That's a big call. And, and in best defender at what position? Best defender all over the court. He's not the best guy at defending a big like a Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert is a lot better big defender than what Ben Simmons is. And yeah, he's got fast feet and he can move around the perimeter. No, I don't think he's the best player in the league, to be honest.
0: No, nah, well, we'll move on then. <laughs> Derek Rose trade to New York. Something that I've found interesting since in looking into that a little bit more is that New York didn't make Kevin Knox, Frank Neokina or any future assets, picks, etc., available. Which means... Obviously, Knox and Neokena don't really do anything, and they haven't proved themselves whatsoever yet as an NBA player. But clearly, New York are trying to keep their young assets for something. They could be looking at still trying to get a Bradley Beal, as much as Bradley Beal says he's going to stay at Washington, and also pairing him potentially with Victor Oladipo. I know they have a lot of guards there, but it would look as though they are attempting to Prepare for something a little bit bigger than just Derrick Rose.
1: It's interesting what they're doing because, yes, they are currently in playoff contention and they may remain in playoff contention. But adding Derrick Rose to that franchise, they're, they're not going to win it. They're, they're not even going to get out of the first round of the playoffs. So they're going to have to make a hell of a lot more trades to even be competitive in the playoffs. And there's, there's some talk of Alfred Payton potentially moving on, but you're not going to get much for him in. And, and as you say, they didn't put Knox or Nilakina up on the trade table. They don't really have any value. That's well, that's one reason reason why they probably didn't put them on the trade table and they're not going to get value if they don't play them. And there's no sign that Thibodeau is going to play them.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'd, You move Knox, Nilakina, Future Picks, Payton, Quickly, Burks, then maybe you get one of Beal or Oladipo somehow, but you'd need both of them. And if both of them were the two guards starting at New York and Derek Rose was coming off the bench, then, yeah, that's an ideal situation for Rose. But right now, it just doesn't make sense. A few trade candidates coming into the deadline. I've got eight names here, and all I want from you is should they stay? Should they go? And if so, where? You don't need an answer for them all. But Bradley Beal, should he stay?
1: That's a really good question. I love the loyalty of Bradley Beal. And for him to stay at Washington despite all their struggles would you know, show a lot for his character. But I also think that I would love to see him play at a contender and see what sort of player he can be when he's got good players around him. I can't see Washington being a contender any time in the near future for Bradley Beal's career and to get us allow us to see him play with some really good players and see him play in the playoffs. I think he should move on.
0: Yep. Zach Levine?
1: Mm, a little bit different situation at Chicago. Yes, they haven't started the year all that well, but they do have Laurie Markin and Wendell Carter Jr., Kobe White, They have some very, Patrick Williams, some very good young players that that team in two to three years time could be pushing for top five, top six in the East and be not sure about quite a contender, but getting up towards that contender status. And Zach Levine's not all that old. He's a fair bit younger than Bradley Beal. So I think Zach Levine should stay. And Chicago's a a big franchise as well.
0: Yep, for sure. Okay, now just yes or no. I don't need long, long answers. <laughs> uh, Buddy Hilled. Yes. As in go? Go, yep. Kyle Lowry.
1: Uh, Lowry's back end of his career, has won a championship. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's a really hard one. Yes, he could help a contender, but is he going to be the starting point guard for a contender? No. He's never really come off the bench before. I think he just might as well stay. John Collins. Go, they don't need him. Blake Griffin. Go, have it try and find somewhere that he can win a championship, but he's going to have to learn to play off the bench. He's not a starter for a contender. Kevin Love has won a championship, not required at Cleveland. Could start for a contender. There are a few guys that would like him. Go, Oladipo. Hmm, he's only just got there. But I think he'd be very valuable for a contender and could also start, but would be a very, very good six man as well. So he can go.
0: And Al Horford.
1: Go. He would be a very, very, very valuable player off the bench for a contender. However, that OKC team doesn't have a lot of maturity and a lot of leaders. And Al Horford is a good bloke and a good leader. So, he's very valuable to that franchise. I don't think they'd want to lose him. He can mentor guys like Isaiah Roby, but contenders would love him. I I think he might stay, though.
0: All right. Thank you for that. That worked well. (laughs) Um, Quick little story. Nick Young, Swaggy P. Um, we We don't hear a whole lot about him these days. He, actually, firstly, I love to do stories, as we know, on players that know other players. And it's been made known to me that if you're a really good basketballer in a small town and there's another really good basketballer from that town, chances are you've met. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just makes sense. I know us growing up as kids playing sport, generally, you know the other talented sports people in the area. (laughs) So really, it's not that unusual for these stories to come about. But anyway, nevertheless, Nick Young is cousins with Kevon Looney, and they both played at Golden State in 2017-18. But he's also cousins to rapper Kendrick Lamar, which is pretty cool. And the Swaggy P nickname, this is something that only Swaggy P would do, but he has said that it is a pseudo-biblical reference to the Prophet of Swag. So there you go. That's what Swaggy P stands for. Good on him. That is strange. Anyway. <laughs> that is Swaggy. Uh, the NBA G League is underway. Most teams have played two or three games now. A few players are really standing out, though. Ignis Brazdakis, who is on the New York Knicks, who's actually Canadian, is averaging 28, 15 rebounds and four assists. Vernon Carey Jr. was picked 32 this year at the Hornets and he's averaging 26 and 12. Uh, Kevin Porter certainly has a lot of gulosity and he's now at Houston and averaging 24, 4, 6, 2 and 1. But gulosity means quantity over quality in a way or (laughs) one way or another. But with his 24 points, he's averaging 22.7 shot attempts. Oh yeah. So he could very much play for Houston right now. But does Houston want someone that puts up 20 plus shots and how's his health and everything else going? Who knows? But he's also worth a look very shortly in the waiver wire. Paul Reid at Philly was pick 58, but he's averaging 22 on 11 with three steals and a block. Trey Jones at San Antonio was pick 41, and he's averaging 21 with 11 assists and two steals. And remember Jordan Poole? He only played last mm-hmm. week, I think, for Golden State, and played all right when they had a few injuries, but he's also averaging 21, 4-4 and two steals, and he was picked 28 two years ago. A few other players that are standing out, Elliot Kobo, Jeremy Lin, who's playing for the Warriors, Cassius Winston and Nico Mannion, they're all in this year's draft. And one other guy, OKC, Poku, Pokachevsky has gone back to get a little bit of experience. His first game had five points and nine assists, shooting two of ten. Then six points and nine assists, shooting two of fourteen, with seven turnovers and five fouls. So it's fair to say the tall, skinny man is still a little bit raw, and you wouldn't imagine he'll be playing too many NBA games anytime soon. No, there's some crazy numbers in that G
1: League, which you just pointed out. And in terms of Poku, he's someone to watch for for the future. He could be the tallest point guard ever. I don't know if that's that's not real, but seven foot tall playing point guard, getting out those assists, that's pretty crazy. But he's going to have to put on a hell of a lot of weight and he's got a lot of work to do. But the G League will be a good spot for that. McFantasy NBA, your league, your team. Now we're going to delve into some 36 per minute stat leaders and players that would perform well if they were to get more minutes. So for those who don't know, the per 36 is used really just to compare players, I suppose, over what they would achieve if they were to play 36 minutes or close to 36 minutes. So if a player, for example, scored two points in nine minutes, that would be eight points that their 36 per minute stat would be. So we're just going to have a look through some of those guys and see who might benefit from playing more minutes and what guys are at the top of the stat sheet, I suppose, per 36 minutes. So I've quickly had a look through uh, the leaders in the main stat categories. So... Points per 36 minutes, Bradley Beal is leading that with 33.5. He plays pretty much 36 minutes anyway, so that doesn't mean too much. Clint Capella is averaging 17.5 rebounds per 36 minutes. That's ridiculous. TJ McConnell is averaging 10.5 assists. Nerlens Noel is averaging four blocks. And Matisse Thibel is averaging 3.1 steals. So Adam and I have decided that we've picked three or so players each. And we're going to go through them and talk about why they should get more minutes and what sort of stats they could have if they did have more minutes. So, Adam, we'll start with you. Who are your guys uh, per 36 minutes that are achieving good results?
0: Well, as always, I've just chosen Marvin Bagley. No, I haven't really. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we've also avoided rookies as yes. well. So, like, Danny Evdea, Emmanuel Quickly, Devin Vassell, they're all showing a lot if they were to get the minutes, but rookies are in a bit of a world of their own because they're generally pretty raw. So I am going to start with Jarrett Allen. I'm I'm sure most fans could agree that with the opportunity, he would be a gun. Not that he isn't already, but at the moment, he's only averaging the 25 minutes due to drummond and when nance wasn't injured and javel mcgee and kevin loves to come back so it's not a great spot for him at the moment but he's averaging 12.9 rebounds and 1.7 blocks and i will add to this he's only averaging 1.6 fouls and 1.5 turnovers so that's something else to look into your per 36 because you look at someone like taco fall who plays five minutes if he was to play 36 he gives away like 12 fouls um <laughs> So, Jared Allen is only 22 years old as well, which is key, but per 36, he'd average 17 and 12 with two and a half blocks, and in that per 36, only 2.4 fouls. I say that because my next guy, Mo Wagner, he, I believe, is a good player. He's only 23 years old. His brother's about to get drafted in the next draft, just so you know, hmm. uh, and he's Competing against Len, Lopez and Hashimura, who play a lot more minutes and they're just not that good. So I'd be giving my minutes to Wagner. At the moment, he's only averaging 5.5 points and 3.3 rebounds and close to a three-pointer a game. And gets a few DMP CDs along the way. Yes. But his per 36 would be 16 and 10 with three assists, a steal and a block and a three-pointer. And also going on to nearly 10 fouls per game. (laughs) Um, So that's the difference between him and Jared Allen. But Len isn't good. Lopez is done. And Hashimura, yeah, he's a rookie. I'm not a rookie, a sophomore, and he should be getting minutes. But he's no younger than Mo Wagner. And I think Mo Wagner is just a better basketballer. So I don't really understand why he's not getting the minutes. Whereas Jared Allens at this stage does make sense and Cleveland need to make trades to free him up a bit. And they will. I, anyway. think
1: the, I think Wagner at the moment, from the games I've seen him play, is a little bit of a liability on defense. So that's where he needs to spend all his time in practice.
0: Yeah, fair enough. What are your first two?
1: Uh, so my first two... Or who do I want to go with first? We'll go with Nerland's Noel first just because of what's happened at New York over the last couple of days. Mitch Robinson breaking his hand. He'll be out four to six weeks. So Noel will more than likely go into that starting lineup uh, unless they are to start small. And at the moment this year, he's been playing 17.5 minutes a game. It's five rebounds, two blocks, which is pretty good. Uh, and 0.9 steals, which is not too bad either. But if he was to go up and play 30 minutes, his numbers are going to increase a lot. So his 36-minute stats are 7.3 points, 10.6 rebounds, 0.8 assists, 4 blocks, and 1.8 steals a game. So offensively, he doesn't give you that much. But defensively, over 10 rebounds, 4 blocks, and nearly 2 steals, he from a fantasy perspective, would be huge if he's to play up close to that 36 minutes. And he's someone that we've looked at a lot over the years. He's 26 years old now. He was pick six in the draft and hasn't done a hell of a lot throughout his career. But he will be given an opportunity. And although Robinson getting injured He was playing his best game of the season too when he got injured the other day. I think he had 10 points and 14 rebounds in 19 minutes or something. So he was absolutely dominating and has had probably the best season of his career so far, Robinson, just because he hasn't been giving away all of those fouls and he hasn't been in as much foul trouble as what he has. But what I was going to say is for New York, giving Noel this opportunity to play could mean that he gets some trade value and he might be someone that they are able to trade. If they really want to invest their future into Robinson and they have some other younger guys behind him, Obi Toppin, who's not a centre, but a, a taller power forward type guy, they may be able to move Noel on and get some value. So here's one good per 36-minute one. Um, the other one I'll go to... I'll go to another center. I'll go to Robert Williams, who I love at Boston. He was pick 27 uh, in the draft, so not overly high draft pick, but still a late first rounder in 2018. He's playing 14 minutes a game, nearly 15 minutes a game. He's had a lot of injury issues, but he's someone who I think is very similar to Mitch Robinson, maybe slightly better offensively, but just a really, really athletic big. And at the moment, he's averaging five points, five rebounds, 0.7 assists, 1.2 blocks, and nearly a steal a game. And that's just in that 14 minutes a game. And he's got Thompson and Tice to beat out. For Boston's future... Geez, you'd love him to get more minutes than Thompson. Not going to happen, but it would be fantastic for their future if they could keep on to Robert Williams. His per 36 minutes are 14.5 points a game, 13 rebounds a game, nearly two assists, nearly three blocks, and over two steals. So if, if he can get 25 minutes a game, his stats are going to be awesome. And fantasy-wise, they're, they're going to be huge. It just for, Again, I think it's probably, although he's not too bad defensively, I don't. Oh, he can't space the floor, and that's a little bit of a concern, but Tristan Thompson can't space the floor either. So I just want to see more minutes for Robert Williams. Unless Boston are worried about his injury history, it'd be fantastic to see him get out there a bit more.
0: I have a way of getting him out there a bit more. I'll give you Buddy Heald, and we will take Robert Williams, Peyton Pritchard, and Aaron Neesmith. Deal?
1: Hmm. Giving up. Three first round picks, or three guys who were picked in the first round for a shooter. Oh, would Bossa consider that? Maybe, but I think they really like Robert Williams. We haven't seen Neesmith Smith, and Peyton Pritchard's gonna be just a rotation play throughout his you, his career. You would think Robert Williams would be very, very useful. He'd be even upgrade on Hassan Whiteside for Sacramento. Interesting trade. I'd have to think think about it a little bit more, but it is an interesting one.
0: <laughs> all right, so my last guy we really haven't heard of this year, Troy Brown Jr. I had him, so he's at Washington, like Wagner. I had him all of last year in fantasy, and he averaged 10 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal for me, and, and a 3, playing 26 minutes. And whenever he got the opportunity to play more, he was actually very handy. Uh, this year, though... He's only averaging the five points, four rebounds in 12 minutes. So last year, 26 minutes, this year, 12. The team certainly hasn't got any better. uh, But per 36, he would average 16 points, eight rebounds, four assists and two steals and a couple of threes. I, I like him. He's only just turned 22. So he's still young as well. So I'm thinking he just needs to be traded. Unless there's something behind the scenes where he's not that good or he's got bad work ethic or whatever it might be, I think he needs to go to another young team where he can come off the bench and actually have a role. Mm, he hasn't
1: been given any opportunity this year. And as you say, last year he was pretty good. So yeah, he's, he's, he's one, there's a lot of guys and we could go through hundreds of them at, at many teams that If they were traded, their value can increase. Or even like we just saw the other day, Dennis Smith Jr. Not that his value has increased all that much, but at least he's getting on the court now, which he wasn't at New York. The other player that I have uh, is a little bit of an older guy, 26-year-old, pick 14 in the 2015 draft, so a little while ago. And he's a point guard for the Phoenix Suns. His name's Cameron Payne. He's currently playing 17 and a half minutes a game. Averaging six points, two rebounds, nearly four assists, uh, half a steal, a little bit of a block, and nearly a three-pointer. If he was to play the 36 minutes, which obviously is not, but we're talking about the 36-minute per-game players, if he was to get up around that 28 to 30-minute, which would only happen if Chris Paul was to get injured, his per-36-minute stats are 13.5 points, 4.4 rebounds, 8 assists, blocks, 1.3 steals, and 1.7 three-pointers a game. So when he gets time on the floor, he performs at a reasonably high level. He's one to keep an eye on. As I said, if Chris Paul was to get injured, he's someone who could certainly, his value should increase, uh, particularly from a fantasy perspective. The other one as well that I quickly had uh, he's TJ McConnell. We mentioned him per 36 is the assist leader. He's averaging 10.5 assists uh, per game. He's currently playing 22 minutes, which isn't too bad. But if there was to be an injury and TJ McConnell was to start and play close to that 30 minutes, he's, some of his numbers that would increase particularly would be that assists going from sort of a 6 to a 10 and steals going from one and a half to 2.6. So he's only just behind Feibel for steals per 36 minutes. Not a scorer,
0: but uh, assistant steals. He's uh, right up there with the best. Yeah, he really is. And I like that Cameron Payne one. Like last year in the bubble when Phoenix won all eight games, obviously Chris Paul was still in OKC, but they did have Ricky Rubio. And Cameron Payne was incredible. He was one of their better players in those eight wins. So it would be nice to see him get more minutes, but at the same time, he's probably exactly what Phoenix need as that 17, 18 minutes off the bench. Yeah, he's, he's performing a good role for them off the bench,
1: as you say. All right, quickly, our last segment, the waiver wire. So guys are in 14 to 16 team leagues more so that might be available to draft from a fantasy perspective. Who do you have as your guy
0: or guys? Um, I'll quickly touch on a few that have been picked up recently in our league. So Nerland's Noel, obviously... He's going to be a lot better with Robinson out, and he was picked up before that injury, so that was lucky for whoever got him. Michael Carter-Williams, I wish I'd picked him up. As soon as I saw him starting for Orlando, I wanted him, and he got 21-7-7 yesterday. And with Isaac out for the season, Fultz out for the season, Cole-Anthony questionable, Fournier questionable, Mason questionable, Gordon, Ankle, L out for a while, Ennis questionable, Aminu questionable. He's got the minutes, and he has always proven to be, like we've just been talking about, a good per-36 player. Yeah, on Mark
1: Mark Carter-Williams, both Noel and Carter-Williams the ones that I had. But I looked back through Carter-Williams' stats throughout his career today, and funnily enough, he was one rookie of the year in 2014, and that was his best year of his career. He had 16-6-6 and two steals that year. So it's funny that he was breakout season, when he was playing for Philly and hasn't, to be honest, done much since.
0: No, I'm just going to quickly look at something. Michael Carter-Williams' first game was a triple-double, I think, on debut. There you go. one of the best. That might not be true. No, let's just, oh, here we go. So on debut, October 30, 2013, he recorded 22 points, 12 assists, seven rebounds, but nine steals, which is still the most ever. So 22, 7, 12, and 9 steals. He does have win, ability. In a win over the defending champions, Miami. <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, uh, so the players that are available in ours, Sadiq Bay got very, very, very hot 7 of 7 from 3 and hitting 30 points and 12 rebounds. But he's also scored in double figures in four of the last five games. So he's probably my best bet at the moment. I love the Grayson Allen pickup the other day. He is dominating, hitting four three-pointers a game and one and a half steals. Dennis Smith is obviously worth a look as he's slowly starting to get back into it. And I won't keep going because otherwise I'll go over yours. What were yours?
1: Well, you've gone over most of them. Uh, The only one one I've got on my list that you haven't mentioned uh, is Thomas Sadoransky.
0: Yeah, I've got him. Yeah, good. I'm (laughs) glad
1: you didn't mention him. He, a couple of days ago, had 17 points, four rebounds, seven assists in 30 minutes off the bench. Coming back from uh, COVID-related issues, he's slowly starting to bump up those minutes, and that 30 uh, last game was his highest minutes. And the most important thing from that game was that he played alongside both White and Levine when they played small ball, and he played 18 minutes alongside Kobe White. And the reason why that is good for him is because the chances of him taking Kobe White, spotting the starting lineup, are reasonably slim. But is a much, much better defender. And if they're happy for him to play alongside Kobe White, then his fantasy value is going to go through the roof and he's going to be certainly a player that you should own. Yes, he doesn't score a lot of points. That 17 the other day was very high for him. But he is someone who gets rebounds and gets high assist numbers and gets a few steals as well. Has had triple doubles in his career, so certainly one to watch depending on how that rotation goes at Chicago. And obviously, if Kobe White was to get injured, uh, or even Zach Levine was to get injured, then
0: Sato would be an absolute must-own. Yeah, definitely. He's averaging seven points and five assists over the last couple of weeks, which the five assists aren't bad. And if his minutes were to increase, then yeah, he is very, very valuable. My only other one was Dwayne Bacon. Um, Mm. He gets points. He gets a couple of threes. He's a bit of a Doug McDermott, but obviously I went through all those blokes that are out for Orlando. So as that changes, his value goes down again.
1: Absolutely. All right. Thanks very much, Adam. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, You can check us out on Instagram and Twitter, McFantasyNBA. But for now, have a good week. Hope your team wins.